New series this morning, we're, uh, we're talking about being like Jesus. You ever think about that? Or let me ask you this. I was, one of the things to, to think about, have you, when, you, when you think about your own future, maybe you think about tomorrow or this week or month or, or a year from now or even toward the end of your life. You know, like, what, the question is, what, uh, what do you want to be known for? You ever think about that one? What do you want people to remember about you as you lived your life? might be in the immediate, it might be in the future, because here's the thing, you will be remembered for something, and it might be different things for different people, uh, but at the end of your life, will people say things like, well, they were one of the smartest people I ever knew, or maybe it's, um, they were so generous, or they worked really hard. They were one of the hardest working people I know. And on down through the list, maybe they were really kind. I mean, they would help anybody for any reason. Or they really were a loving person. They really loved people. They knew how to love. Or you know what? They were, they were very successful. I mean, look at all their stuff. They must have really had a great life. Whatever it is, most of those are pretty good, right? I want to be known as some of those. But really, the one thing, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there's one thing that people ought to remember you by, and it should define your life. It's, they were like Jesus. When I think about them, they remind me of what Jesus would be like if Jesus was here. So the question is this, would that define you right now, the way you live your life? Would people think about you as a representative of Jesus Christ on this earth? Chances are, <laughs> we're like, well, maybe a couple times, but not like all the time. You know, there, there's, there's things I say and do that definitely would not represent Jesus. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about just the way you live your life. You know, we live in a time when sometimes we're at a loss of what to say. You ever, you know, there's things that happen, especially in the last months and a couple of years here, there's things that happen in the world, things people say, things people do, and, and you want to, with everything inside of you, you want to say something because you've got something to say, right? But in the back of your mind, you're going, oh, should I really? Because I know I'm right. But will this be helpful? And, and even own your own decisions in life. There's so many decisions we make, and, and we want to make the right decision, and we want to do things right, we want to say things right. And, and sometimes we're at a loss. I'm, I'm not sure. Well, if I do this, then, then this. And, and, but it really boils down to one thing. It really comes down to this. And, and I was thinking about all this for a long time. And I was saying, what do I 
what do I name this sermon series? What, what do I really focus on? Because all these things have been on my heart. And several months ago, I heard a speaker talking about a lot of this stuff. And at the very end, he finished his, his talk with one simple statement. Just be like Jesus. And I thought, that's it. I mean, so many things and so many questions we have, and they're big questions, they're important things. And the answer is simply, be like Jesus. Because if you do everything to the best of what you understand Jesus would do or be like, you'll always be on the right track. You might not get it perfectly, but at least you're always going to be heading in the right direction, working towards doing the right things. And you know, and it's not just when we talk about being like Jesus, it's not just the words we say, like would Jesus say this? Or the things we do. What would Jesus, remember that WWJD? What would Jesus do? I mean, that was great, right? Gave us, sometimes it kept us from doing things Jesus wouldn't do. But the question is, is that all? I mean, even if I said things that Jesus would say, even if I got that right, and even if I did the things that Jesus would do, is that enough? No. The answer is, are you being like Jesus? We're talking about your character. We're talking about your countenance. We're talking about who you are becoming as a person. Are you becoming like Jesus? Nobody expects anybody in this room to get it right all the time. You're going to say things that are just crazy. You're going to do things that you're, you're going to regret. We all do that. But deep down, are you every day becoming more like Jesus Christ in who you are? That's what we're talking about in this series because the Bible is very clear. The goal of every believer in Jesus Christ should be to become spiritually mature. And the Bible's definition of spiritually mature is simply be like Jesus Christ. Look at this verse in Ephesians 4.13, first verse in your note, says this, this will continue, what will? Growing stronger. So what, he, what he's talking about in the verses before this. Until we are united by our faith and by our understanding of the Son of God. Then we will be mature just as Christ is. And we will be completely like him. So if you're wondering, what does a mature Christian look like? What do they do? What do they say? Who are they? You simply look at Jesus. If you're not becoming more like Jesus, you're not becoming more spiritually mature. Spiritual maturity leads you to becoming like Jesus Christ. And that's what every one of us should be thinking about and we should be pursuing. Now, I shared this a couple months ago. Um, I use, and I encourage you if you don't have a good Bible app, um, the Version Bible app is I think one of the best ones. It's very good, multiple uh, translations, all sorts of Bible reading plans. But I get a verse of the day. And some of you might, as might do that as, uh, as well. But it's interesting because this happened about a year ago where I was kicking off a series 
And the verse of the day was like, nailed it. <laughs> it did it again this morning. Let, catch this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says this. Those who, say, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Wow. Well, God, that's a big coincidence. Except it isn't. It's God's exclamation point on what we're doing here today and on this series. And I believe God would say, amen. Be like Jesus. Of course, he just did say that. So we're good. All right. Here's the thing. The world should be able to see Jesus in us and through us by the way we walk, by the way we talk, by the, by the way we love people, by our countenance, by our attitude, and simply by the way we treat people. Now here's the thing. Our world today has a really hard time with Jesus, don't they? Some people don't even want to hear the word. Some people distort who Jesus is. Some people don't want to hear it, whatever. And one of the reasons that the world has a hard time with Jesus is because they haven't seen a whole lot of people acting like him. That's, that's on us. <laughs> Imagine what it'd be like if everybody around you would see Jesus in you. They, and they would begin to understand what Jesus was really like. Well, that should be the goal of every one of us, to be so much like Jesus that when people encounter us, they recognize it and they want to imitate us as well, and they should be able to say. Matter of fact, has anyone ever told you, <laughs> you remind me of Jesus? Nobody's ever told me that, so... Don't get too convicted. I'm working on it, though, right? I mean, we have moments once in a while, right? But what if it was just a constant pursuit and practice of our lives? You know, Paul says, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, there in your notes. And he says, you should imitate me as I imitate who? Christ. Now, this isn't to brag. Paul isn't saying, look, I'm so good that you should do what I do. You know what he's saying? He's saying the things that you see me doing that remind you of Christ, you imitate those things. I mean, Paul's, Paul was the first one to tell us, he says, look, when it comes to sinners, I'm the worst of them. I am number one on the sinner list. But he also would say, look, I'm, I'm pursuing Jesus I'm trying to follow Jesus, so if there's anything that I do that looks like Jesus, go ahead, and, go ahead and follow my example. Imitate that part of me is what he's telling us. So I put this in your notes. That um, that, that whole thing, that should be a desire of every one of us to be an example of what Jesus looks like and what he does so that other people can see and follow. Every one of us this morning, we sh our desire, the deep desire of our heart should be, I want to be so much like Jesus that when people see me and they experience me, I would remind them of Jesus. Remember one time in the Sermon on the Mount, 
Jesus said, it's like toward the beginning of the sermon. He said, you should be the salt of the earth and you should be the light of the world. Matter of fact, he said, you should let your light shine so brightly that when people around you see the good things that you do, it should point them to the Father that they would glorify God. And so when people see the way you live your life, your attitude, the things you say, the things you do, places you go, just your life, they should go, I want some of that. <laughs> Whatever you got, I want that as well. And it should point people to Jesus and the Father as well. So, but here's the caveat of this whole thing. We know that Jesus was awesome, right? But we also know that there's some things about Jesus that you and I will never be able to imitate. You know why? Because <laughs> he was God. And you're not, and you never will be. Now, what are some, some of the things? Well, here, here's something. You, you, every one of us this morning, in some form or other, we had a human mom and dad. Jesus didn't. He had one. He had a mom, but who was, who was Jesus' dad? God, the Holy Spirit, right? Um, you will never walk on water like Jesus did. You will not turn water into wine, though you may try. Don't tell me you haven't. Okay? You will not raise people from the dead. You can't. Now, what I'm saying is God can do these things through us, but you can't as a human do these things, right? You can't predict your own death and resurrection and then pull it off now the first part you can I don't recommend but you cannot raise yourself from the dead Jesus can you can't walk through walls and just appear in a room and then just disappear you hurt yourself and you can't just rise up in the air without any technological help. Just start going up through the air, floating into the clouds, and then promising everybody who's watching you, you're, I'll be back. You can't do those things. But there are parts of Jesus that we can imitate. I mean, you can, did Jesus love people? Of course he did. You can be a loving person. Was Jesus kind? Yes, he was. Was Jesus very generous? And met people's needs. Yes, he did. Was Jesus humble? Did Jesus serve people? I mean, the list goes on and on. Some of the very obvious characteristics and the actions of Christ, those are some very obvious things that we can imitate. But in this series, we're going we're gonna to dig a little deeper. We're going to go a little bit behind the curtain, and we're going to explore sort of the core of Jesus, sort of the why and the how he did a lot of the things that he did. And one of those things we're going to look at today is, is that Jesus lived with a laser-like focus. I mean, he, he, had a, he had a mission to accomplish, and he stayed on mission his whole life. And he was focused in where he lived and how he lived, where he went, 
things that he said, everything. He was unwavering in why he was here and what he did. He had a plan. It was the Father's plan. And he stuck with it all the way through his death and resurrection and his ascension to the Father. Now, I, I've been around a few people that have had that kind of drive. You know, some of them have been pretty obnoxious, but the good ones, it's so refreshing. It's so inspiring to be around someone who, who knows who they are, they know where they're going, they know what they're doing, and their face is turned toward their mission and their vision and their goal, and there's nothing going to stop them. You go, wow, out of my way, here we go. Well, that's Jesus. He was very focused. He had a laser-like focus with his life, and he stayed that way until the very end. So what are some things we can learn from that? What, what, what can we imitate about Jesus' focus in life that can help us to live our lives like Jesus did? So I got three things. So let's just jump right in on point number one. And it's this. Jesus knew... His purpose in life. He knew his purpose in life. He knew his reason for being here. And then he lived every moment accordingly. What was that? Why, would, why did Jesus come? Well, he gives us several hints. There are several reasons, but one of those is this in Luke 19. He said, for the Son of Man came to... Now, when you... I came to, that means this is the reason I'm here. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. In other words, Jesus says, that's why I'm here, folks. <laughs> that's why I came here from heaven to earth. I came to seek and save lost people. Well, you might ask, well, who are those? And the answer is all of us at some point. Every one of us, until we have a relationship with Jesus Christ and we are found and we are saved, we are lost people. It's not a judgment. It's not a condemnation. It's just how things are. That's why every one of us, we need to be found. And even at 12 years old, it was amazing. Even at 12 years old, how Jesus knew he had this sense of mission and calling. He already knew why he was here and what he was going to do. Uh, I don't know if you remember the story. I'm gonna, just going to highlight it really quick. Uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Uh, scholars believe that he could have lived there with, his, with Joseph and Mary up till the age of two almost. If you remember, Herod was jealous. He didn't want another king of the Jews. So he had all the baby boys two years old and under killed, thinking that was close to the age of the king of the Jews, right? Well, in a warning, the, angels came, the angel came to Mary and Joseph and said, hey, you guys need to get out of town because uh, we need to protect Jesus. So they go down to Egypt. They hang out there for a while. Soon the angel came back and said, okay, it's safe to go back. So they go back, but they go to their hometown of Nazareth, where they were from. Uh, Mary and Joseph were from Nazareth. And so they set up shop there. And uh, Jesus... Jesus was 12 years old. Now, during that time, the Jews, all throughout uh, Ju Galilee and Judea, they would, at least once a year during Passover, and there's about two other times that many of them did, but at least once a year, they would make the journey from 
Nazareth, everywhere, everywhere people were, they'd make the journey from wherever they were, this is the case Nazareth, down to Jerusalem to the temple for about a week. There were, there were all sorts of festivals and all sorts of ceremonies for the Passover uh, that they, they would observe. And it was about a four-day or a four day journey, about 65 to 70 miles, something like that. And they usually went with a group of people uh, when they went. So they did this. Jesus was 12 years old. They go from Nazareth down to Jerusalem. And while they were there, um, they did everything that they normally do for this whole week. And they're on their way back. They're going back, and uh, Joseph says to Mary, Hey, Mary, um, is Jesus okay over there with you? And she goes, um, He's not with me. He's with you. He goes, No, he ain't with me. And so they start looking around the whole crowd of people that are with him. And anybody, anybody got Jesus? Nobody had Jesus. They freak out. I mean, they're freaking out. They go back to Jerusalem, and they go to where the last time they saw him, they go to the temple, and there he is. 12-year-old Jesus is sitting around with all the scribes, the Pharisees, all the religious leaders, and it says they were just amazed. They were astounded at the wisdom and the understanding of this 12-year-old kid. He's teaching them. He's asking questions. I mean, deep theological, doctrinal questions, and they're just like, wow, this kid's amazing. And then Mary and Joseph go, what in the world are you in here in your notes? I have... Uh, it's in Luke 2, verse 49, and it says this. Well, basically, they said, where have you been? We've been looking all over for you, and you abandoned us, and all these. And he says this. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? In other words, he's going, come on, mom and dad. Don't you remember what the angel said before I was even born to you guys? That you are, you're going to have a baby and you're going to name him Jesus and he's going to save his people from their sins. You knew I had a job to do. And like Jesus, every one of us, just like Jesus says, I must be about my father's business. If you're going to be like Jesus, <laughs> you need to be about the father's business. That should be your pursuit every moment of every day. Because Jesus lived with this sense of purpose that even as a 12-year-old kid, he already knew what he was supposed to do, and he began the preparation for that. Okay, number two. That's number one. Number two, Jesus waited for the appropriate time. He waited for the appropriate time. For what? For everything. Everything that Jesus did was at the appropriate time. So not only did he know who he was, not only did he know why he was here, but he also knew the when. He knew that there was a time for him to reveal to the world who he really was. Now think about this just for a moment. Jesus was 30 years old when he started his public ministry. So just think about this, even from the age of 12, but I'm pretty sure it was before 12 that he understood his, who he was and what he's going to do in life, right? But even from the age 12 to age 30, you're talking 18 years from that moment, that experience until Jesus could actually begin his public, you know, to go public with who he was, 
was eight. He had to sit on this thing for 18 years. I mean, how often have you had patience when you knew that God wanted you to do something and you were willing to wait 18 years to do it? <laughs> no, it's like tomorrow, right? So Jesus is waiting. He knew the appropriate time for this to happen. And, uh, and he says this. In, here, here's sort of the story about when, it, even though he was teaching, okay, he had been in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights. He'd been fasting. The devil had tempted him. He'd been baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin, in the Jordan River. And he went to a synagogue one time. He read the scripture in Isaiah that prophesied about him. He goes, in this, in this moment, this is being fulfilled. So he started teaching, and he started gathering followers, but he had not yet done any miracles. All they knew, that is, he was saying really cool things, and they wanted to be with him. So here it is, John chapter 2, verse 1. It said, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples, okay, he already had disciples, even though he'd never done a miracle yet, were also invited to the celebration. The wine, re the wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, <laughs> they have no more wine. And Jesus goes, yeah, so what? He's like, dear woman, that's not our problem. Or mom, I'm not sure which one he said. And he said, my time has not yet come. And you know what she says? But the mother told the servants, do whatever he says. And you're like, he's probably like, mom, don't you get it? It's not my time yet. But, and I'm thinking, wait, wait a minute. Did Jesus, because he, obviously it was his time, right? He did turn the water into wine. In that wedding, that was his first miracle. But yet he just got done telling his mom, his time is not yet. But yet he did it. So what is it? Did his mom talk him into it against his will? After some research, the answer is this. His time was then, but it wasn't because his mom said so. It was because the father said so. He want, that's why he said, my time is not yet. He wanted to remind his mother that he was doing this not because of her, but because the father had told him now is the time. It was the perfect time for him to begin his public demonstration of the power of God that was in him. There's several other times that Jesus told people. He says, my time is not, it's not my time for this. There were several times where Jesus was in a, a town, a city, and he was, he was teaching and he was talking to people and, and he would say things that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, got really, really mad about. They were ticked. I mean, they were just steaming over with anger and hatred. And it says a couple times that they, they tried to catch him tried to capture him in one town they wanted to take him over to the over to the edge of town where there's a cliff they wanted to throw him over the cliff another time they want to take him outside of town and stone him to death but each time it says Jesus snuck through the crowd and he escaped and later he told his disciples it's not time yet 
But there came a time. There came a time when it was time for him to willingly give up his life. See, nobody was going to take his life without it being the right time. Here's what it says in John, in, uh, John 13, verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. His hour to die for the sins of mankind and to rise again and to go be with his Father had now come. Here's what I want you to know, folks, this morning. God always has perfect timing. Every time. If you wholeheartedly follow Jesus and you do your best to obey God and to do the things he teaches and, and you follow the call he's placed on your life and you live with a sense of purpose and mission and focus, just know this. In spite of your timing, God's timing is always perfect. And when you are following Jesus and you're becoming more like him, you will understand that timing. If you don't, you'll be frustrated and you want to take matters in your own hands and do things in your time and in your way. Jesus knew his appropriate time. Then number three is that Jesus was destiny-minded. He was destiny-minded. He knew his time, but he also knew his future. And along with his mission to serve and to save, he knew that he was destined for the cross. I mean, think about this. Even as a 12-year-old child, Jesus knew that he, he knew what the Father's business was and he knew what he needed to do, but he knew that at the end of it all, or close to the end, he was going to die. He was going to die a gruesome death on the cross, and that was his destiny. Now, he also knew it, that wasn't the end. But he knew that was in, in the works. Matter of fact, he said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, somewhere in your notes there, you have some room at the top. Just write this scripture reference down. Write down Hebrews 12.2. And then look, look this up later today. Hebrews 12.2 gives you a good picture of, of what we're talking about here. But all throughout Jesus' ministry, he, he knew in three and a half years after he started his ministry, he knew he would end up on the cross. That was his destiny for his ministry. And it never kept him from it. He knew from the very beginning that he was here to save people, to serve people, and to die on the cross for them, for each one of us. He knew that from the beginning, and he lived it out to the very end. John 12, 23 says this. Jesus replied to them, to his disciples, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. 
Now, if you understand the chronology of the book of John, this was in chapter 12. Chapters 13 all the way through chapter 19 happened in about 18 hours. So from that moment when Jesus says the time has come for the Son of Man to die, 18 hours later, he died. And he spent a good part of that time explaining to them what was just about to happen during his death and his resurrection. In other words, Jesus wasn't afraid of the future even if, when he knew his future was death. It didn't stop him. He knew it from the very beginning. And even that moment when he announced it, he knew that he was 18 hours away from literally dying on the cross. He was destiny-minded. He wasn't distracted by his critics. He wasn't distracted by opportunities. If you remember the story um, in the book of Luke, when, when Jesus was, he, he had gone into the wilderness, into the desert, and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And during that time, the devil himself, Satan was there tempting him. And he would say things like, okay, Jesus, I know you're hungry. You, want to, you ought to just, that bread, that stone, you can just turn that into bread and you'd be fine. No, 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 we're good. He's quoted scripture. It says he took him to a high mountain and he looked all throughout the world. I, you know, sort of supernaturally see the whole globe. And he says, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. Why could he say that? Because it's his. God has given this earth to Satan, but it's going to run out soon. And Jesus says, no, nah, no, we're not going to do that. Quoted scripture. So he was tempted. He could have given in to his own desires, even. Peer pressure. You know, remember when Jesus was in the garden that evening, Thursday night, after the, the, the Last Supper, and after he had been teaching them what was going to happen, they go to the garden, he took several of his disciples with him and, and he said to them here you guys stay here I got to go over here and I'm going to pray but you you just stay you keep watching you pray for me okay so he goes and while he's over there they believe that there was this big rock where Jesus sort of laid on and he kneeled on this rock there in the garden and he's thinking about what was just about to happen I mean within minutes the Roman soldiers were going to come and arrest him and for a split second, the hum humanness, the humanity of Jesus showed up. And it says it was so intense that he was sweating drops of blood. And he said, Father, if there's any way that I don't have to go through this, I would welcome that. <laughs> But after a comma, not a period, but after a comma, he says, but it's not my will, but yours be done. That was one of the most pivotal moments in Scripture, that one sentence. Jesus says, it would have been easy to take the easy way out, but I'm choosing the Father's will because I know why I came. I came to this earth for this moment to die for the sins of mankind. And it's really hard. 
but God, I'm going to go through with it because I know this is your will. Jesus was not deterred from his purpose. He was not deterred by why he was here, what his mission was, what his assignment was, what, what was just about to happen. Nothing stopped him, not, nothing kept him away because he was secure in who he was and why he was here. He was that focused. So my question for you today is, can you say that? <laughs> Do you know who you are? are? Are you secure in who you are? What does that mean to be secure? It means that you look at yourself in the mirror, you look at your life, and yeah, there's a lot of things that could change. But you look at yourself and you say, God, thank you. You're happy. You're content with who you are and who you're becoming. Because you've let, you let God do all the work and you're giving him all the glory. Can you say, thank you, God, for who I am? Now, who are you? Got your notes ready to go? Write this in there. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the answer is, I am a child of God. That's who you are. You're a child of God. You are a chosen saint. You are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High God. That's a pretty big deal, folks. That is awesome. That's you. That's your identity. That's who you are if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. If not, you can change that in a moment. Just like that. The next question is, do you know why you're here? Do you know why you're alive? Like, what is your purpose? What should you be doing with your life? Well, the answer is this. Write this in your notes. I am here to glorify God and to point people to Jesus. That's, why everyone, that's, that's the purpose of every one of us. Now, we all have our individual purpose of what we're trying to accomplish in life. God has a plan and a purpose, but overall, this is it. I glorify God in all that I do, and I also point people to Jesus Christ. The last question, what should I be doing, or what should be the desire of my heart? What should I really, really want to be doing in life, like deep down? It just drives you. In, uh, in Psalms, it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. Well, what is that? In the context of the whole message that we talked about today, what should be the desire of my heart? Write this in your notes. I just want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. So my question, next question is this. Can you genuinely and honestly make those statements this morning? Can you say that? Say, yeah, that's, that's me, that's it. Or maybe you're here this morning and you go, I wish it were. I, I'm just, that's just not me yet. Well, here's the good news. To become 
like Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you need to just know about Jesus. It requires more than just knowing about Jesus. You can know a lot about Jesus and still miss it. It also requires more than just talking about him or even hanging out with him or hanging out with his people, right? Here's the bottom line. The first step, first and most important step for any one of us if we're going to become like Jesus is we need to have a relationship with him. You need to come to the point where you simply say, Jesus, I believe in you. You died on the cross. You rose again. I believe in you. I need you desperately in my life. So here's my life. I just open up my life to you. And I want you to come in. I want you to just be in control. Take the reins. Take the wheel. And lead and guide my life. And help me to be everything that you've created me to be. When you do that, it moves you positionally and powerfully from being lost to being found. From being outside of the family to being a child of God. To be on, from being on your way to be separated from God for eternity to now being part of those of us who will spend eternity with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ forever and ever.